The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And, Je- and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Drew. Drew got the passage with all the ites in it. Perizzites, Hivites, it's a great passage, and uh, thanks for reading that, Drew, you did a great job. You know, um, when I um, remember um, getting the plan to get engaged to my wife, Megan, um, I remember uh, getting the ring, and you know, I made this plan and talked about it and talked with the parents and talked with my parents about what we are going to do. I was going to surprise her, and I did, and you know. Hilton Head, uh, on the beaches of Hilton Head, South Carolina, surprised her and uh, had her whole family involved. It was a great elaborate plan that actually worked out uh, the way I wanted it to. But I remember getting the ring itself. And when I received this ring, uh, it, it was a game changer because it was different than just talking about it. Now I had this object that in every time I looked at it, it said, oh, this is on, it's happening. Like, what are you gonna do now, you know? (laughs) You've said all this stuff, 
is this gonna, and I remember, I mean like having it in my room and waking up in the middle of the night just to see it. Like I'd wake up and cause I'd just be, you know, thinking about all this stuff and I'd look over and there's this box, you know. I remember looking at it in different lights even. Like, you know, like I wouldn't, I didn't even wanna take it out because I didn't want my fingerprints on it. I would hold it up under a lamp and I'd turn, hold it in the sunlight. Like I really wanted this, it, it, cause it was so tangibly real to me. And then I remember uh, as I was, you know, concocting this plan, uh, my stepfather in his trying to be funny saying, well, good luck, I hope she says yes. <laughs> now, you know, when somebody says that, you're like, ha ha, and then all of a sudden you go, I guess there really is like a moment where I could get there and this just really not happen. And uh, for some people, I mean, maybe in the, even in this room, you've gone through something like that and it's actually not as funny, um, it's painful. You know, it's one of those things where you set up and you, and you think, I had all this plan, all this ahead of me, that this, this deeply relational, powerful moment. And yet I didn't really know what was gonna happen on the other side of that. I really didn't. In some ways, he was completely correct. I didn't know what she would say. I mean, I knew, but didn't know, you know what I mean? You know, we kind of, we're looking at uh, this history here. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. Um, it's an incredible book. Uh, it's a book that was written to mark God's incredible work of taking his people out of slavery. And here we have one of the most crucial moments with this figure, and our theme this go around, like what we're doing is, is kind of a two-part theme, the life of Moses and the law of Moses. Moses as the central key figure in Exodus, the one that God would use to bring his people out. And <clears throat> where you just read a passage that is literally one of the most um, marked you know, uh, moments in his life. In fact, some people, even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you may have heard this. It may be a, a, a old Sunday school story for you if you're coming back into the church and you're kind of like, I kind of have a vague memory of that. But it was so key and yet, if you see, and even if you continued reading from verse 15, we didn't have Drew read all, all this chapter and the next, both chapter three and four are actually together like this, and they're Moses just constantly going, are you sure about this? I mean, Moses has this unbelievable relational encounter with God. I mean, we're gonna unpack it in all its parts as much as we can in you know, a few moments. But what he doesn't know, and what we often do when we read these passages, is he doesn't know how it's gonna turn out in the end. I mean, he, he actually doesn't, he's saying this, we read this from our perspective, but he actually doesn't know what's gonna happen. He's not sure. And, and, and I think we can read the Old Testament that way. I think often the Old Testament, which is, uh, the, the, you know, before the New Testament, most of us may camp out a lot when we read the Bible, right? We read New Testament passages, Mar Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're easier sometimes. They're more fun to read, those kind of things. And we miss reading the Old Testament where God is really showing up. God's presence, his relationship, his actual showing of how he loves his people is so beautifully marked and in such a perfect way in places where they don't know what's gonna happen. Does that sound familiar to you? 
We just spent a whole, what we called the lost year, not knowing what's gonna happen. We're now in, I know we're in here, it's kind of vulnerable. I know I've even felt it with everybody. We're a little bit like, okay, all of a sudden the city says, we don't have to wear face coverings. And we're all like, it's okay. We've been asking for a long time, how's this gonna happen? And not just in a global sense, but we know personally, aren't we asking that question? How does God instruct and come to him in the most profound way that's gonna about, about to lead this enormous, massive, that's a whole book, right? Exodus, leaving out of Egypt. And he's, this is the man he's gonna do it with. So we're gonna look at this in two questions, which I think are two really pertinent questions that you see in this text. The first one is, who are you? <laughs> Moses asked this in a number of ways. Who are you? to God, like tell me who you are. And he gives him a few ways of showing that. You see the burning bush, he, he gives him his name. There's actually some other moments in later chapters uh, in three and four that he unpacks this further. And then we're gonna answer not only that question, who are you, but the who am I? Moses beautifully steps back after he says, who are you? Who am I? After he encounters God, who am I? Deeply, not just existential question, but Encountering this powerful relational God, he says, who am I to do any of this, to be this? So we're gonna look at those two questions. Who are you? God reveals himself in this bush. You know, I I was watching some time ago, uh, Jimmy Fallon, and I found this interesting that, you know, he does these, you know, I love Jimmy Fallon. He's pretty, he's, he's, he's kind of a funny, goofy dude. And, he brought up this, this moment that the CIA was now on Twitter. And he was like, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, the CIA now is on Twitter. So I was super curious and I went and looked and yes, the CIA is on Twitter. And their first tweet was this, we can neither uh, confirm or deny that this is our first tweet, you know, like the CIA being funny. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'll take that. But you know, I was also curious about this, how many followers? Immediately when they started their Twitter, it was like 741,000 followers. Now they're up to 300, uh, 300, 3.2 million followers are following the CIA on Twitter. Now, here's what I think is fascinating about that. This is the CIA. People are following them. What are they hoping to hear on a tweet that they're not gonna hear in any other way? Have you thought about that for a second? Like, are they hoping to get so close? What do they think the CIA is gonna reveal about themselves or show that's not already in the news that you have a news feed you're already looking up, other than just following them and those kind of things. Kind of interesting. But it proves the fact that we want to get closer. We want to get close, we wanna get information, we want to be, and two sides of it. One is we really wanna get close and know, and sometimes we can confuse information for actually knowing someone But the other side of that is we don't really know someone unless they reveal themselves. You really don't know someone until they actually reveal themselves to you. And here in this passage is the most astounding thing that God says, I'm gonna show you that I'm not hidden. I'm not hiding. Moses isn't looking for him. God comes to reveal himself. And and, and we... You know, Moses has been away now. So last time, literally last week, we looked at Moses. He was a 40-year-old out and he had just committed a crime. He had to go run and hide for killing an Egyptian and run to Midian. And now this is another skip to another 40 years. 
Now 80 years old, he is, he is out as a shepherd. He has been away that long. And he sees this bush and God comes to him, which is a picture of God's character. And God chooses to reveal himself to him. To say, here is who I am. And I think it's often when we, when we think about, whether it be personally or even philosophically or in discussions with people, how does God, how do we actually know God? You only know him in the way that he chooses and is willing to reveal himself to you. And to that extent, and in this, he goes all the way. He extends that. I, I love how Moses, who's considered the author of um, Genesis, Exodus, uh, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And he says this, and it says uh, in verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, can you imagine writing this, thinking about what it was like, I will turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And, and it sounds kind of like archaic and mechanical, like I will turn aside and see this. But no, but what he's writing in there, the Hebrew form is, I'm, I can, what is going on over here? He's seeing this bush burn. There's no leaves crumpling. There's no real sound of, of, of oxygen being taken in to what a fire typically does and then, and then expelling out. There's no ash falling to the ground. This bush is on fire. And in a strange way, all he can probably conjure up is, I gotta see what this is. <laughs> What's going on? And God comes to him first in this picture of, I wanna show you as he speaks to him, you're now on holy ground. Who am I? And Moses says this, who in the world? I mean, even later in this passage, when Moses says, when you, you tell me I'm supposed to go talk to Pharaoh, who, who am I supposed to tell the people of Israel that when you send me to them to do this enormous task that you're wanting me to do, who am I supposed to say? <laughs> who are you? And the bush gives this incredible picture of first, his sustainability. Think about that for a second. That, that fire, what it does is it, it, it consumes, right? Uh, I've learned a lot about the difference between flood and fire lately, by the way. Uh, my house is flooded, if you haven't heard. But, uh, but if we had had a fire in our house over flood for some odd reason, insurance covers different things. But fire, what flood does is come in and just kind of settles in, it soaks in. What fire does is consume and take out. And he turns aside to see this fire and it's, and it usually just burns. It takes whatever it can, right? And, and, and usually you would see, if you've ever seen uh, leaves at one time, I did this with my sons too. Have you ever lit a Frito on fire? You know Frito chips you eat? My kids and I wanted to do this one time because I've heard this is hilarious. You light a Frito on fire and it will stay on fire for a while. And you go, man, I eat these things. And you know why? Because there's so much oil in it. But after a while, the oil is all taken even out of that. And then the Frito starts to turn black and crispy and to ash. And then to, this bush is doing none of that. Can you imagine seeing something like that? Can you imagine seeing never, it doesn't have to be relit. What is God showing about us? He's showing his sustainable, his, his self-sustaining nature. 
That God doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need anything to sustain. God is. Sounds like his name. I am. He is. So immediately, Moses is taken back his holiness in this, that, that fire also is a purifying agent. It takes out. So fire is used to actually remove, and is, if any of you have heard of this before, you may have, um, in metals, if, if metals need to be purified, fire is put to them to take the impurities out. So be it a wedding ring or those kind of things, when they make these kind of things, they're put to great fire in order to take certain impurities out. And to the degree of the preciousness of whatever metal that is, the fire takes out the impurities. This is saying that the fire sustains, it's holy. It remains. It purifies and yet it doesn't ever go out. It's self-sustaining again, right? It's eternal. God's character is this. And it's most importantly, immutable. It's a word that means he doesn't change. Can you, this is a thing that I think we, for me especially, I don't know about you, to think about God's character, not only being self-sustaining, not only pure and holy, but being immutable, not changing. I mean, we wake up and, and, and gosh, today they're like, no, no face coverings. I mean, things change all the time for us. We wake up in the morning, we feel like, I don't feel great today. Today's not a good day. We have, think, I mean, things all over the place are changing from one thing to the next. What would it be like for us to really camp on the character that God is revealing himself to us as who he is, not one who bends to our will, but is unchanging, is sustainable, is holy and pure and separate than anything we've ever understood. Wouldn't that change the way that we pray? I mean, so often we can come to God and pray according to what we want. When was the last time we actually went to God and prayed according to his character, who he is? You know, what really transforms Moses here isn't necessarily him doing, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. It's that he reveals himself. He makes himself known. He's the one who is not hidden. As much as we think in those moments, and this is to encourage us, and to Moses, this is, a, this is a, a, a nuance for us that's a little different than Moses. Many of us feel in those moments, you may even feel it this morning, you're singing songs and you find that, am I, is God really there? Does he hear me? Maybe you're going through something incredibly traumatic, maybe an illness, maybe a separation, Maybe it's job loss, maybe, maybe pure grade anxiety. And we wonder, is God really there? And God is coming to Moses here and he comes to us to, to remind us in his character that he does not change. His presence is constant. He does not move like when you go to the beach and watch the waves come up and back and that's exactly how we feel in our emotions and our life, he is not that way. He is the steady one in the relationship. And he's always there. He even gives them this name. He says, okay, tell me who are you? What is your name? And he says, I am. <laughs> Such a, an incredible way to say that. He says, 
Moses says to him, if I come to the people and say to them, the God of your father sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. His name reveals everything. One of my favorite songs is Johnny Cash's A Boy Named Sue. Don't know if you know this song. Excellent song. As a guy named Stacy, that song really hits my heart really well. Um, it's kind of a theme song, if you will. One of the things I love about that song, though, is that it really does bring up the fact that his name, and you know, the whole song builds. You need to hear it, it's great. It's Johnny Cash at one of his best. And, you know, as he builds this song at the end of it, and, you know, he's like, and when I have a son, I'm gonna name him Bill or George, anything but suit, you know, he kind of goes off because he knows, but he, he talks, you know, the song is funny, but he, the whole song is about the name of his, his life that's patterned his life. Names are huge for us. This is why in baptisms, actually, one reason in our church specifically, we do uh, what's called an etymology, a, 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 an unpacking of names. So when I'm up here and I baptize, uh, oftentimes you'll hear me say, this name means, and I'll unpack. Because names mean a lot. They, they tell a lot of who we are. And in the Bible specifically, when a name is given, especially when it comes to um, uh, God or gods, if you look in, in ancient history, to reveal a name actually said you could give, have power over that. So in, in ancient history, <clears throat> Grecian history particularly, if if names were given, if you asked a God his name and they gave you a name, Apollo, uh, you know, we, we, the Parthenon's right, right around here. Athena is in a, the Parthenon over there. Uh, you know, we were driving down the street and uh, down the road the other day and my son asked, great question. You know, on the back of an ambulance or in a hospital, the sign of the snake wrapped around the stick. Have you ever wondered what that, he's like, what is that? Like, why is there a snake on someone being taken to the hospital? That is a very good question, son. Very good. Well, you know, that snake represented Asclepius, the God of healing. And if you could evoke that God's name, then you could possibly evoke healing and have power. What God does here though is different. Notice he doesn't put language, he doesn't say I am Baal, or I am Apollo, or I'm Athena. He says, I am. There's no amount that Moses can get from his name necessarily that grants him power over this God. God is separating himself to say, I am not like other gods that you've, you've encountered in any other country or language that you know. I am the God. I am. I am self-existent. I'm not pigeonholed into the God of healing, the God of this. And think about that for us. Oftentimes, isn't it something about his character that we zero in on and we kind of remove the rest of what God's character is instead of saying we're in relationship with this God who we cannot put our arms around. Our prayers, our time. And many of us may be out of in, in a lot of ways, may feel far and distant in relationship with God because we've put him in a category of, you're just the God of this. You're the God of that. <clears throat> but believing in his name, knowing his name, he's saying his name isn't just like another part of our life. He is the God who is, I am. It was a deeply relational moment and a deeply separating moment. 
for Moses to say, this is not a God that anyone can control, but God says, I'm in control and I'm gonna send you in to do what needs to be done. Deeply relational. He says, he even adds this onto it. <clears throat> so when the people of Israel say, who, who, who has sent me? Say, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout generations. What is he doing there? He's unpacking the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the names of his fathers, the names of the original fathers where God came to and said, I'm gonna establish a relationship with you that will never fade away. In a few weeks, we're gonna look at the 10 commandments. One of those is not taking the Lord's name in vain. And oftentimes we assist, we put that with not saying cuss words or not saying certain words. But actually what it means is a positive thing of saying, how does, how does our heart show we love him? How does our relationship with God show backwards and not taking his name in vain, that we're showing how in love we are with the one who loves us. That's actually what it means. It means that there's been a marriage that God has set up from long before Moses in what's called a covenant. And you see that in marriage vows, covenant ceremony vows, that he has continued and it comes through his name. It comes through him that he loves them that much. That to come to these people and say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, isn't just saying, hey, here's a historical reference for you to help you out. It's actually to say, my relationship with you is the only thing that hasn't changed. I'm the one who's with you always. And can you imagine being Moses in that moment, overwhelmed, not just with God's holiness, but his revelation to him. It says uh, here when, when there's a, a German phrase for it, and I'll probably say it wrong, but it's berf, I even took German and I can't say this. Berfungus Schema. It actually means there's an appeal going on. So Moses moves from the question of who are you to who am I in his presence? And when we see that shift, this is where it should catch us for a minute. It should make us go, do we really know who we're worshiping? When we come and sing these songs and come to this table and hear the word preached and, and, and remind ourselves when we go to the, the Bible and prayer, do, do we really know who we're approaching? Because God is saying, I am not only the one who is high and lofty, but I'm also the one who's intimate and personal. And there is no pigeonhole you can put me in. I love you in ways that you don't love yourself. I come to you and I don't change in ways that you wish I did and sometimes think I do. And Moses can do nothing but say, who am I? Great question. Who am I to lead these people? Who am I? And over and over in this appeal, this German appeal, there's actually four of them. The one we're gonna zero in on is this one of his presence. But the four that he actually does in verse chapters three and four, one is his name, which we just saw. 
One is his work that he says, suppose they don't believe me. There's this over and over again appeal. He says, suppose I go to them and they don't believe me. And he consistently have these questions. And God shows him his work. He says, what if I'm not eloquent? I can't speak. He says, I'll speak for you. I'll give you your brother Aaron. And in this one here, he says, the very first one, who am I that I should go to the children, go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. The Mount Horeb is actually another name for Mount Sinai. And over and over, we see this fact that God sees, hears, and knows his, his people's suffering. Listen to this, verse seven. This is amazing. Right after Moses hid his face and was afraid in verse six of this holiness of the God he's meeting. In verse seven, it says, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. You would think after this kind of encounter, maybe God says something like, here's my bidding, do this. Maybe that's what most of us think. But what God does is he actually says, I have heard and seen. I know their sufferings. In all his distance, in all his I am self-existence, God puts himself in the intimate position of knowing their sufferings. Wouldn't you rather have, sometimes I think that when in God's character, we think of God as one or the other. He's either holy and exalted or totally, you know, like down with us. But we can't separate those parts of his character. We can't separate who he is. Because we need to know the who am I, even in the moments of our deepest suffering, because we're encountering someone who's coming, who's so lofty and yet goes so intimately in connection to your sufferings where you are. This is saying we need to cry out. And many of us may not know if we can or maybe with the way we cry out, that God sees affliction. He hears cries. He knows sufferings. And it even says right after this in verse eight, I have come down to deliver them. This is the God we serve. Does this give you a picture of anything? <laughs> what God is doing? Exodus is this glorious event. It is the marked redemptive event for the people of Israel. And yet it's a building event to something big that even Moses himself said he was praying for and looking for. It was one that would become in flesh. When he says, I will be with you, he's using language that is all through, in fact, I've said this before, but it's, it's worth saying again that the preposition with is the number one preposition that God uses with his people in in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament. With. With. 
In all of the ways that we isolate, in all the ways that we try and use the, our legalism to, to be with, in all the ways that we try and feel better and make ourselves feel better in any relationship that it is, that God's preposition and love for us is with. It is the concept of the Old Testament. It is such a powerful thing that every time it's mentioned, there's a sign connected to it. And you know right in front of me is the sign that we have right now. Right in front of me is a table that has such a profound sign that it shows a couple things. One, it shows that God says, I am with you in a way that you don't even realize. (laughs) That the incarnation, when God says, I dwell with my people, he's not just saying, I'm just you know, this is how he's marking himself as different in any other religion, philosophy, or, or God himself. Religion actually studies the behavior of man before God. This account of what Moses is having is not a study of how does Moses react necessarily. It's more of how does God show himself? See, that's what theology is. Oftentimes we're like, theology, it sounds kind of rote, but theology is are looking at God's relationship with us. And how does he do it? He comes down. See, this building in Exodus and this encounter that Moses had was just even more of a building to the one who would come in flesh. Why is it in Isaiah, that is a book that constantly brings this themes of Exodus back up, dwells with us. God Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us, who dwells. Even in the Old Testament, God would continue to put himself in the midst, in the tent, in the middle of the people. And yet, even in the New Testament, what do we celebrate every Christmas? God with us. And you know what's even more powerful than that? You may even say, where's Jesus now? Do you know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, I'm actually going to leave you, but I'm gonna send you something that's more powerful than even me. The Holy Spirit. He said, I'm gonna send my spirit that's not just gonna be around you or take on flesh, but be in you. See, when you come to this table, you're not just hoping to get close to Jesus. You're not just thinking and hoping that your mind takes. God is actually feeding your soul by faith. Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in you. You are now that tabernacle. And when we bear the name Christian or follower of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that has set before this table, the name that has gone below us, think about it, he's gone below us and above us. That at the name, he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In a minute, we're gonna sing Isaiah 43, and it's going to be our song of promise. And it says, when I pass through the fire, I will be with you. When I pass through the waters, I will be with you. Let that be the reminder of the God we serve that's actually with us. Let's stand together.